You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, Komagi Yulenj, uh, a conversation and launch of um, a journey that starts at the Nagi tree just down the road at St Kilda and to um, take us through this uh, conversation. We have a number of, of guests uh, who are sitting here with me. We have um, uh, on my left, uh, Jara Carolina Steele and uh, in Nawi, Professor Carolyn Briggs, AM, PhD. Did I get all that right? <laughs> and, 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 and Matt Sykes. So we'll be, um, I'll be taking, uh, I'll be asking people about a little bit about their background and where they're from. Um, but before we start, I invite uh, Nawi to Welcome us onto country as um, first order of business. business. Gosh, we're, we're very spread out, aren't we? Is there a way that we can come a little closer? Because we've... Oh, look at this. See, yeah, she, she was waiting to be invited in. This, Were this, you? Thank this, you. This project is all about reconfiguring space. So let's... Uh, let's reconfigure. Let's do it. Let's take control of space. I've been very fortunate to be working with Troy, with Jara and um, Matt. So we're a, we're a part of a package, I think, at RMIT. And, um, and it is an honour to be inviting you all here. And I hope we can continue these invitations because last time we were freezing <laughs> under the same sort of event. Um, uh, and Pavilion over at uh, South Bank. That's right. That's why I've got my notes on my phone so they don't blow away like last time. I had to improvise the whole event. And it was really cold. We suddenly felt the cold of the ocean, wasn't it? The timing was not really good. But um, I thank you for all being here today. Where do you all come from? It's my turn to put it out to you guys because there's not... We, we, we're filling in space here. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Sure, why not? Um, Jane, and I've come down from Ballarat today to see what this is about. A colleague suggested I work in tourism in the state government, and I'm always drawn to things first people somehow. I've realised why now I had a teacher in primary school who was about the dream time, and Thank you, and I hope we can address those issues in relation to tourism. We've been involved in tourism for a while, haven't we? With my food industry, you, with your work and what we do together. What 
I did a speed dating on that in London. Wow. Okay. Why do you come to Melbourne? I am Melbourne. No. I am Melbourne, and Melbourne's the gateway to cultural tools. Thank you very much. Thank you, Susie. Thank you. There's going to be more conversations coming up very soon because a Māori artist is coming across this week that I've been working with. So, you know, we're, we're becoming more global. So, thank you. Oh, wonderful, because a lot of things happening in Dodd Street, isn't it? You will see it. It will reveal itself soon. Thank you. Still in country, wonderful. Natalie, and thank you. We, we have a... Um, project off Glen Huntley Road there and we got it named the Yellicott Willem Reserve so it's it's about design it's changing from an old golf course <laughs> now going to be a living breathing entity again so and water reclaimed itself you know so it's a journey isn't it and the planting regime and all the work you've d you guys are doing I'm just observing I love that. Thank you. So Natalie, you're working with Natalie. Th thank you. Lucky I get around. Thank you. Hello. I think it is about exploring your place. And what we're doing is disrupting. No. <laughs> we love it because we, 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 yeah, it's growing. We're, we're putting ourselves back into country. So thank you. Well, it's all about fun, isn't it? You know, challenging, challenging the, that disruption of the, how we can improve uh, getting information out there to our young people and giving them an opportunity to use those tools. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we're going back to you now. <laughs> <laughs>
You're on show. Thank you, because it is about time that we can challenge and disrupt and bring ourselves back into the, this framework of who we are and where, we, where we're heading as a future and how do we see the future and is it through digital art and design and I think I'll get on to welcome now, oh, these two lovely ladies, are you just... And, you just happened. <laughs> I, love, I love how you happened. <laughs> you came for coffee. Oh, this will be love. No, don't be sorry. We share the knowledge. <laughs> you look like experienced walkers. Um, yes, you look like you're... Which, and, the, and, yes. And, and this is all about a walking journey, so... We're going to create some, a lot of injuries. No, no, the, the, we're not going anywhere. We're going to sit on these imagined seats. I like them. For me. So it's Wamajika, Marambik, Big Bunarong, Namda Barupton, Arthur Willem. Come with a purpose to our beautiful home, the lands of the two great bays, Naram, Port Phillip, and Marin, Western Port Bay. So it is. It is about our beautiful home, and yes, my name is Carolyn Briggs, and part of my role in the institution, working with Troy, he's helped me grow into other ways of thinking and giving me a, a platform to challenge myself, which is starting a lot. So it is my great pleasure to be able to welcome you all here today. But it is also my responsibility to ensure that you do come with a purpose. Woman, come. Ask to come and what is your purpose for coming? Or what's your intention? And I do so not on behalf of my ancestors, of the Ilukut Willem of the Bunwarang. I do on behalf of all First Nations around different lands that we all come or live on. First Nations people across this continent known as Australia all share a special connections with their lands and waters of their ancestors that has not been disconnected since millennia despite the dispossession, the displacement and the discrimination that we've all experienced over the last 200 years. These connections date back to our creation stories. For the Yuluk Willem of the Bunwarang, our creation story tells us of Bunjil, our creator spirit, who travels as an eagle and how he created these lands and waters around where we meet today. He also created the Eastern Kulin people and taught them about the circular relationships that they have with their lands and waters in order for us to be taken care of by the land. And we did this through adhering to our laws, to the Wurrungi Bik, our laws of the land, our customary laws, much like our laws today. 
These laws dictated how we interact with each other, how we conduct ourselves whilst we're on other people's countries. The Bunwurang Wurongi Bik speaks of three Pacific laws. The first law is Yelanj, knowledge, that deep knowledge. And it is the responsibility that we all have that knowledge. And once knowledge has been attained, that we then have the responsibility to ensure its survival, its continuation. We have the responsibility for our next generation to maintain that knowledge and pass it down so it can be used for future generations. These are part of the guiding pillars that gives us structure, gives every culture about structures and laws and the way we behave and about a consistency that can be evolved and adapted. The next law is what we are doing today. It's a jambana. This law speaks of community, the importance of community, the importance of our diverse community, but a unified community. The Bunwurrung and the Eastern Kulin understood the power of diversity that is within our lands that increases our capabilities. It was always good to share our stories and different experiences. However, they had to understand this very powerful tool. They had to identify a common purpose. And what are those things that we all have in common? Finally, the last law is connection to country, or what we might call Papanata, Mother Earth, or honouring sacred ground paying respects to past generations, the people who took care of the land before us, the people who have lived and died before we're here, paying respects to stories, history on a land that we now live today. And we're very fortunate in this place known as Melbourne to have 80,000 years of human history. And it is most important to pay respects to that history, not only while we're here, listening, or when we go home. And if we can adhere to those three Warungi Biks, I can say again in the language of my ancestors, Wamajika Marambik Bik Bunarong, Nanda Burupton Arthur Willem, come with a purpose to our beautiful home. And this is the journey where we're heading today. And I'll hand it back to Troy. Thank you. Thank you, Noe, um, for the, that welcome to country. Uh, and thank you also, I wasn't expecting uh, that personal acknowledgement. I would say that I've also been um, challenged and uh, led into other ways of being and thinking in, in, and relating to the world um, in, in uh, listening to you. So before I get to my more formal introduction, I'd just like to really quickly respond to that because, uh, well, my background is um, uh, I grew up in Melbourne. Um, I grew up just in an outer suburb of, of Melbourne, but um, always felt like, uh, and I played a lot of video games, and so I was used to living in, in between different worlds, as it were, and always felt like I was... a bit like Neo in the Matrix, living in a bit of a simulation. You know, the world around me felt super, super constructed. 
uh, and didn't feel quite real or authentic. And so it wasn't until I, until I started listening to you, Nawi, like uh, four or five years ago when I started uh, a research fellowship at RMIT University that I realised what country I truly was on. And that was a, a real moment of um, recognition of something that I'd kind of felt was out there my entire life that uh, then I had language or, or kind of... Uh, ways of thinking and, and being in that space and also an invitation to be in that space. And so um, thank you for that. And it's also, just by coincidence, a really great segue into this project, which is called um, Komagi Lenj, and that is about, uh, translates to uh, rising knowledge. And, um, and we're going to hear about how this project came to be um, through the uh, panellists we have today. But first, I have some kind of formal uh, uh, acknowledgements to make because the project um, is, is being launched. Um, or really, it's a long launch because it's one of these projects that started in lockdown back in 2020 uh, and went live actually a few months ago during Games Week. But we have just catching up now with the some kind of public announcement to say, yes, we, we, we are finishing this project and it was, uh, it's live and in the world and it's something that you can experience. And today, if, you, if you're feeling up to it at the end of this panel, um, we can take a tram down uh, to the Nagi tree and play this, uh, through this journey. It's um, a self-guided uh, audio visual tour. So it's primarily stereo, uh, uh, listening experience with moments of augmented reality with Jara's artwork um, featuring in those that takes you through uh, a walking um, journey that Nawi has been take, uh, 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 kind of curating over y years and years of spending time in that place. So it really is her uh, uh, perspective on that world. And so we're going to be hearing a lot more about that project. That's what we're here to discuss. Uh, but, um, yeah, I uh, welcome you to experience this and also acknowledge um, Creative Victoria, who uh, supported the project through the Creators Fund, and uh, RMIT University, who have also supported the project through their um, participation. And we're going to hear from Matt and Regeneration Projects, um, who have been uh, consulting and, and, in, and, and really building the infrastructure, or creative infrastructure around this way of being in the world. And I'll talk a little also about 64 Ways of Being, since you mentioned it, um, because that's the platform. Um, but really, with this experience, that platform is, is um, really performing that, that function of, of a platform. Um, but just briefly, 64 Ways of Being is uh, a platform that um, we developed at uh, and I'll talk, talk through who we are in terms of that development to deliver experiences like this. Um, but to start with, we're going to give you a bit of a taste of that experience. So it is something that you need to be um, on, you know, in in, in, on location, um, in place, um, because it really is a journey through specific uh, markers of country. Uh, however, um, you know, we, we can't bring that here and it's impractical to bring all of you to the Nagi tree right now. So what I'm going to do is ask um, our wonderful AV team to uh, play the introduction and um, first composition, which was um, made by Lara Briggs-Patterson, specifically the, another collaborator on this project who's not here uh, today. She's um, performing elsewhere. Um, 
uh, but she created this piece of music specifically for the Nagi tree and for Jara's artwork. And so by, um, if you ask you to, and if you, if you like, you can close your eyes or just kind of zone out, um, just listen, um, uh, imagine you're uh, 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 down there at the Nagi tree, and this is the, the first thing that you hear as you start off on this journey. So if we could play that first piece of audio. is the longest and oldest living resident in the city of Port Phillip and it is estimated age of three to five hundred years. Now beside the St Kilda Junction, it once the site of many Bunwarang Wheelam covering the area between here and Albert Park Lake. The Nagi tree is the last survivor of a former wattle forest, interspersed with mature gums, the extended into Paran. Its location at St Kilda Junction is where tracks connected to the southern, northern and eastern district. Narji, an event which celebrated to honour guests coming on country perform songs, dance, ensure conciliation after conflicts, and to tell popular and new stories.
Thank you for listening. So you just heard the introduction that has uh, some moments from the composition made for the Nagi tree and um, then some uh, of the broader soundtrack that appears throughout the journey. So the journey is depending on how fast you walk, between 30 to 40 minutes. And it's a mix of um, uh, uh, Nawi's stories and observations on place, both um, in terms of the Yalakut Willem, uh, but also more contemporary observations of what, what that place is now, uh, and also what it could be in the future. Um, so it's really looking at past, present, future, situating the, the kind of cycles and patterns of of um, as the, that place is coming into being. Um, and so, Nawi, I might start by um, uh, asking you, uh, just to start off, you know, what is the significance of the Nagi tree and the Yalakut Willem, and, um, you know, which translates to people of the river? Um, and, you know, give us a sense of what we might hear as we, if you, if, when we experience this journey. Well, it's about a disruption, and I suppose the tree, it stands as a strong marker. Because if you can imagine that river, the Virarung, actually flowed through the gardens and down that way, what through the Nerm, as what we know as Nerm, through the bay. And if you look carefully there, you'll see the river actually does continue to flow all the way down to Point Nepean. So... It's about a disruption. The only marker is what's left there and a little bit of a, a lagoon over there at um, where the tree still stands. But it took a lot of energy of people to stand up and fight for that tree because it was their marker too. It reminded them of something that belonged to that place. So there was a lot of um, agitation and I suppose when we've got to try and take and take a stand, it has to take a lot of people to make an effort to bring and keep that tree living because it is a marker that reminds us of the Yellicot Willem. The Yellicot Willem goes from the Werribee River round down to what we know as Mordia Alec. The next estate is the Moyon Balak and then another groupings of people. So it's all it's getting people and changing the the idea of what this landscape we know today. It has been so highly disrupted from the um, 1836 and how the river course changed between the Maribyrnong and the Berrong when the waterfall there to bring ships in to redesign what we know as Melbourne. So the lime burners, they had to get a deeper port so it is really telling a story about country, but it's a country that was already told to, the, to other settlers about the disconnection. This was also a place where Indigenous people lived and hunted. And then, if you can imagine, this was a massive swamp area. Swamp, or, or wetlands, they like to say wetlands. So um, it was one of the biggest wetlands in Australia. Certainly doesn't look like that, but you've got remnants like um, Albert Park Lake and partly in um, at um, 
the Botanic Gardens, but even further, Brighton, a little bit of a lake left that supplied a lot of fresh water to Half Moon Bay. So it's been mapping, reconnecting, finding our ancestors' memories in these places. And that's the journey we've been on for a long time. And this has given us a platform to be able to create a story that you can reimagine. And that's where this young man here, Matt, you, an artist like Jara, and, and being a part of the family history of telling our stories and re, re, getting people to reimagine what this place once looked like. But we weren't once here and we're still here. we are still the direct descendants of the original people of this country. Thank you. Yeah, and that, that is what, what we have um, worked towards because when you're describing this tree, the Nagi tree at St Kilda Junction, it is one metre away from a major road. So the first time you took me there, Nawi, um, uh, there were trucks going past. It was, you know, um, built up um, development all around. And it's, it's, in, it's very fortunate this has been um, preserved because it's in such a precarious position. And so the experience of this tree is, yeah, you really feel that uh, it's just hanging in, in there. It's just surviving on the edge of all of this kind of urban chaos, which is why uh, you know, when you put your headphones on and um, uh, you hear Lara's music and you see uh, Jara's artwork, so what you see in front of this tree is a, a number of giant scribbly gum moths um, um, filling the the area with with color, and so um, what we're trying to do with that is is yeah to reimagine to create this moment where uh, you know the the tree is is shown in a completely different light. So that that kind of um, feeling that that you communicate so well about the tree, uh, we're trying to you know compress that into the tiny screen of a mobile phone and into a couple of stereo headphones by using the you know, artifice of, of augmented reality, and um, uh, and and uh, uh, I mean, Jared, I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot here because you have most recently experienced this with a colleague, Charlotte. Maybe you want to talk briefly about that reflection. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I live in St Kilda, and she, Charlotte, my um, uh, friend, and who who also collaborated uh, with me on a arcade game for my How I See It exhibition at Acme, which uh, closed last month. Um, uh, she, I, she was coming down to help me clean my apartment because it was a mess and I had an inspection. <laughs> and I was like, well, let's get coffee first and we'll ride across the road from Junction Oval. And I said, hey, I haven't shown you this. Let's go see it. And it's kind of an interesting thing. And at the moment too... Um, the, is it Friends of Port Phillip who are the ones who are protecting that area at the moment um, have been doing a lot of work so it's quite clean a lot better than it was <laughs> when we were doing it um, and uh, so it was nice to just go down and, and it being a clean spa space to be in and I, I showed her the app um, I had to download it then and there because I, I keep my phone a bit empty um, and uh, she was just like oh wow like 
how, how did I not know about this? You know, even this place, you know, because you have, you know, there's a giant, you know, there's this giant tree uh, and you can see it from the road as well. Um, and there's signs, there's two different signs. One that's actually facing towards the road. So that must've been when there was accessibility on that side. Um, and then another one that's like an old stump uh, that still bears its uh, wrong name, which was corroboree, because corroboree is in our word. It was something that was given to us by the um, colonists from them it's learning it in, in New South Wales. Word, yes. yes. Um, so, and it's like a generic term, but nagi is the right um, term for that. Um, so we, you worked on getting that fixed. <laughs> um, and um, so it still has that, which is great. But yeah, it was just a, it's just a really special spot. And um, I know a few, because um, I have a dog and I live in Fitzroy Street. <laughs> I, I know a few dog walkers sometimes come down to just have a bit of a breather down there. And it's, it's really nice. There's kangaroo apples and... Um, blackwood wattle and and um, some really beautiful gums um, that are that are there and I don't know some probably are replanted but yeah it's just it's interesting too I think about you know I've traveled a lot around the world and Aussies always say oh there's nothing old here and yet we're one of the oldest continents and with one of the oldest cultures in the world um, and they're thinking of buildings and things like that. But when I think of it, I'm like, well, this tree is 500 years old. Um, and my ancestors saw it when it was just a sprout in the ground um, and surrounded it and, and had, you know, ceremonies and connected there. Um, so it's just a shame that we can't see that, that we're so obsessed with this, you know, idea of having old Victorian buildings, which I still appreciate. Um, but, you know, it's not... There are old things here, you know, um, and a lot of it was wiped away, but it's still here. Um, and I always think about this as, like, I always remind people that you're still on country here, you know, still sacred land. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Jaron. And, um, Mad, I might pass over to you. Um, and you might want to also talk a little bit about regeneration projects because this is literally what you're doing every day is reconnecting um, people to, well, not only country, but also just to the environment uh, and getting them to, getting their head out of <laughs> this um, kind of really super anthropocentric, anthropocentric, <laughs> I can't say it. Yeah, like individualistic view of the world and being connected with the environment around them, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, our uh, Womanjika, uh, Kia ora, uh, welcome. It's great to come with purpose and to be able to share this space um, with Nawe Carolyn and, and Jara and Troy and to acknowledge all of the different paths of our ancestors that bring us here. And I think for me that, that's the most appropriate um, way to start to respond to your question, um, Troy, because I feel like this you know, in the middle of COVID and we all felt that thing about, okay, you know, how do we start differently? Where do we, you know, where do we go from here? And it's a feeling that you get, but the, the catch is, is that often we need an invitation, something to call us that can send us from a different, you know, starting point um, where we can reground ourselves and those values and those things that we were reminded of during that time. And I feel like the uh, Kamagi Yolenj, uh, 64 ways of being experienced is, is one of those invitations. Without that, 
where do you go? You've just got that feeling. So I'm grateful just to, to lean into that and to acknowledge that when we were first talking about this, we were on screen stuck in, in lockdown. So that's important. But I, I guess to think about uh, my pathway here, it, it also means acknowledging country, to acknowledge Pabanata, uh, Paputuanuku, uh, and this place and, and the water as well. Like, as Naui was saying, there used to be a lagoon here. There's a beautiful depiction of that, um, you know, a, a painting that I saw recently with the water birds and, and things here. So I guess the memory that is being rekindled, rekindled through the 64 ways of um, being a part of that remembering of where we come from. And my ancestors, you know, came here from the Zillertal Valley in Austria and Norway and Yorkshire and England. But uh, we have to remember that um, their dislo dislocation, their disruption from places that they came from was interconnected with the, the, the disruption of Nawe and Jara's ancestors. And so honouring Louisa Briggs and Bembo and Deramut, you know, elders within their community, um, for me, uh, if we are to grow and evolve beyond this post-COVID time, we have to also ask ourselves where we come from. So it's with that context that I guess now in living in Mornington or the traditional area of the Moon Baluk, where I run a business called Regeneration Projects, I ground myself in that place because, you know, during COVID we could travel five kilometres and I knew where I came from, you know, you had to. But uh, at Regeneration Projects, we often act as a bridge between Western and First Nations worlds, bringing business and nature uh, together through, through different ways. And we do that through education, we do it through intercultural consultancy and, and through this opportunity um, through intercultural projects. And uh, when we were talking during 2020 um, and now we was talking about a whole number of things where people all around you know, this area are asking for support and guidance and it's kind of like a pull, all of these things, pulling, 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 take, take, take. And yet I felt this is, this is strange because what it's doing, it's fragmenting energy and it's not allowing any of us to really connect with the place and where we come from. So what I saw the opportunity was through this idea of Kumagi Lenj or rising knowledge, knowledge to arise, was to create a platform, a way of working that uh, could allow the rekindling of boomerang, kulin knowledge in place and create a bridge between... Uh, First Nations people and Western organisations uh, and in this case you've got RMIT being one of the connectors, Creative Victoria and so this is inter intercultural space is often where we sit in between and that comes with some different ways of working, listening both ways, practising that idea of your lens and when we do that uh, we, we start to you know, remember those laws of where we're coming from, you occupy space differently and and it means that when you start off from a point of disruption and then you get an invitation to start, start and do a walk, which the 64 ways of being experienced does, it means you starting from a different place because you're connecting and you're listening in both places. And then when you see those scribbly moths flying up, you get to discover a whole different view of this place that we live and that we know. And in doing so, you also start to see yourself differently in it. You become actors of the rekindling and listening of knowledge. And then that allows this broader cultural shift that we've going on. So Regeneration Projects plays a small role in supporting and bridging worlds to make experiences like these possible and to help people see each other um, and, his, and themselves. And that's part of the growth, the transformation that we're going in. You're also selling yourself a little short there, Matt. 
because you've also helped other Indigenous communities develop their place back into their areas. So if we talk about the Wukulina Walk, we talk about what went on in um, Canada. Is it Canada? <laughs> i got to remember Canada, Montreal. So it's about your investment back and what they invested to demonstrate that we can also bring ourselves into the modern world in tourism and um, and it's also about the fire chats that we have with other First Nations people around the world so that we keep in things in context, how we can operate through that medium, through the tools that we're now moving through. Because I'm now working with Troy on another project. Oh, I suddenly understood algorithms. Didn't know anything about <laughs> algorithms. And I said, does algorithms read your sounds? Yeah, so often I'm teaching Naui about digital worlds and she's teaching me about the actual worlds. It's quite, it's quite a good partnership <laughs> going on there, <laughs> and I'm going. Oh, this is this could be a really good tool, because you're right. It was only because my lecturer said to me, "I'll get back to you." My lecturer said to me, "Why did you write your book in English?" And I went, <laughs> "I was up in Bachelor in a it's a remote community out of Darwin." And I said, "Ganesh, I don't know any other language." except what I'm trying to write and scribe so that people can learn our language. He said, but it's circular, it's not linear. And I went, oh, God. And then he said, if you think about it, your conversation's always in a circular process. He said, look at the Arabic, the way that they're circular stories, but it's also about Sanskrit. I thought... This has challenged me, and it was only because I had to look at a re, um, what is it, re, um, oh, new a new edition of the book because it sells out very quickly for schools because it's the only platform that people can use to understand sounds and how we develop those sounds and remembering and trying to describe it in a in a, an alphabet that is. Roman symbols and that's when the bright spark hit me and went Troy what about this and as I speak and he records me he showed me how I look the words look and I went that's it that's it and no one can make a mistake because if they only knew some words can be quite offensive if you don't say it properly but getting back to you it's about, with tourism, tourism, it is about how people invest back and, and what people can get out of it too. Because if we can get other community members telling their stories and creating these realities, we may have a better way of introducing it into the curriculum as well and also be the vehicle for tourism which I've been involved with for a long time. So, but mine was in the food industry and yeah. tours out back, yeah. Yeah, so, and I think that's, when you start from that different grounding point and you start with the listening in both directions, it, it 
it is basically the foundation laying and then from that you can build relationships that work through tourism and business and investment and different things and, and it, that influence and, and shape our community and I think Troy maybe to pass back to you I mean the 64 ways of being experienced is a different it's uh, it's a different way of connecting with place like and i think it responds and creates a language that's really great for people of all generations but in particular young people that are so tech savvy can you maybe just elaborate on how 64 ways of being is different from other augmented reality experiences and trails and i guess why it's important for for melbourne at this time as well yeah sure so uh um, firstly, to acknowledge the connection to language, uh, that is one of the platforms that, or, or strategies in the design um, is working with language. So it's not um, in addition to ad Indigenous language when we're talking about 64 ways of being, there's um, 64 words from 64 different languages in, um, that's the aspiration for the project. And these are, are words that are so-called uh, untranslatable words in that that just means that you they need more of an explanation and this reflects that diversity of, of place um, or diversity of experience because there are so many different perspectives on the world and um, I didn't fully introduce myself at, at the beginning my name is um, Troy Innocent and I'm a researcher at RMIT University so to I guess put my research cap on um, just really briefly I call this uh, process reworlding and that's a, uh, a word that came to me in 2020 when we were having these conversations because it, it really is what I see the, as the potential for, for games in public space or, or play in public space because you can take a space that already exists, it's already a world to you um, but maybe often there is more, there is another world in this case um, uh, uh, Nawi's um, stories and knowledge of place or, you know, the, 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 the so many things that this place once was. And we can reworld it, you know, so we can kind of uh, uh, erase for a moment um, on the screen of the phone the colonial um, history. And I'm not saying that it's kind of going back to what it once was, but to kind of bring other layers um, that are that are there and have always been there into the foreground because the built environment often obscures those layers and so through uh, the design of this um, uh, game experience which is you know delivered by a mobile phone um, the goal is really to uh, bring those other layers into sharper focus, to make them tangible, to make them something that you can experience uh, so that then your um, uh, uh, kind of knowledge, but not only your knowledge, but also how you feel or how you might be connected to a particular place is changed. Um, so our goal when you you know, play the 64 ways of being experienced in the Nagi tree, taking you through, you know, various locations in Albert Park down to the St Kilda uh, West Beach, is to defamiliarise those places, you know, to, so that they you know them, but now you know them in a different way, um, and so that they are um, forever changed. So even when you've, you know, like, like Jara, you've cleared space on your phone, you don't have the app anymore. Um, next time you walk down there, you're like, oh, this is where I heard Nawi talking about singing to country. And, um, ah, okay, so, you know, it's re reframed, it's re, re kind of made that place uh, for you. So this is a, 
I guess, working with the language of games, a, a process of reworlding. And so the, the, the um, experience is really asking you to, to uh, engage with that process. It's almost, sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. Um, it's almost like um, a, a contemporary version of what, how we learn in Indigenous cultures through oral, oral traditions, um, you know, uh, which I think uh, we don't really um, take value in. I, I know I struggled when I did my MFA when they're like, oh, we want papers of all the knowledge that you have. And I'm like, how do I do that? <laughs> this is what my elders taught me. It's through lived experience. Um, and most of them are dead now. So what am I supposed to do? Um, so, you know, uh, this is a, a version of it. Um, it is a, a way of, uh, you know, um, you know, having that oral tradition in a contemporary digital form. Um, I just also wanted to say too, like uh, when I was approached for this project, and myself and Troy had our first meeting. One thing that I really wanted to put forward and something you can think of when it comes to tourism is that um, although, you know, it's important to draw from the past, our history is long and it's continued. Um, and although we were here first, we're still here. We're still contemporary people. We're not museum pieces. Um, and I think it's important to remember that. And that's why things like this are really important um, uh, because, you know, we're making art and and we can express ourselves um, how we want and you guys were pretty open to me just doing whatever I wanted. So that's how I want my life and my practice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I just wanted to add that. Sorry. No, that's, that's fantastic that uh, that came across. Really um, happy that the, that connection is there. And, um, and talking about how the project came to be and the creative processes around it, really there were, there were two main things. One was walking. Um, so both uh, you know, I went um, on walks with Nawi and also with Jara at s on several occasions and just kind of spending hours say, meandering around, uh, finding places, looking at different perspectives. Um, but also um, talking uh, and and recording. And so what, what you were talking about before, Nawi, is just being in the studio, uh, again, having these conversations, um, but you being so generous to allow them to be recorded so that then we can come back. And um, there's, I mean, there's so many uh, uh, fantastic observations that, that come through those and then uh, being able to use the kind of work with that material to tell this story, to tell your story. I think, I think uh, doing that PhD sort of led me, what is, uh, what is an elder and what is the role of an elder, but also looking at oral traditions and um, exploring those intangible places and making them more tangible. And being a part of the meet, this medium gives me a more scoping it out more. I think, I think, because um, you can write lots of things on paper, but it, how is it living and bringing, reliving those and repurposing and regenerating a lot of these processes? And then at time and giving young people a, a platform to be able to be a part of that story. So I think how would I as an elder pass that knowledge on 
to our younger generations and because things are changing all the time around us. So they'll probably come up with making me an effigy. <laughs> well, we, we prefer the term virtual elder. <laughs> yeah, virtual elder, yeah. And I could be just pop up here and there just having a little yarn and live on forever in a medium. So I think it's... It's challenging us as a Indigenous peoples, but it's also bringing us into the now. And I think we're not objects. We're a part of the whole of the changes that have been occurring in different through these different mediums. And it's young ones like Dara and, and young ones like Charlotte and all these young people that are doing this, you know, your digital games and getting young Indigenous kids from Northern Territory working on projects. So we're making it live and we want to be able to make that process invested in through RMIT as well because it, it leads away in lots of think mediums, different mediums. So I'm lucky I work with architect, masters of architect in design and these are international students that are doing it. And they're amazing what they transform in, in design in buildings and making it a living entity and not just a bricks and mortar. It's live. It's a live. It's, they, they cry when they've finished and they've completed something that is a part of their master's um, in design and architecture. And, and they've now got an a thought of how we take that back into their own countries, into their own First Nations peoples. So it's probably led a different conversation and it's given them a stronger platform that design can be from out, from out of the ground up and make water live around those beautiful buildings that, um, that it's been extracted from. So we've got another project coming up called Extraction of the Biosphere. <laughs> we have fun. Um, but it, it challenges people. It challenges. We have exhibitions going on at Mama on fragments of the swamp. Um, the next one will be It's More Than a Tree. They'll be held at the museum. So we're just very um, trying to demonstrate how nature has been transformed into objects or artefacts. So, and, and then they're collectible items. So these are the things we're constantly challenging us. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and this is uh, coming through your um, uh, academy that you're uh, building around design. So the discipline of design is super in important here in terms of the way that it well, literally shapes the world around us and so having some literacy uh, in design not only allows you, doesn't necessarily mean you need to be a designer but even if you're an artist or a citizen or to have that lit design literacy allows you to understand how the world is being constructed and how, you know, the big difference between uh, recording knowledge as, as, as printed material versus uh, embedding knowledge in place and through oral storytelling traditions and so forth. These are all kind of designed um, structures and of course um, First Peoples have um, 
so many. Well, they're starting to be recognised incredible um, design technologies that, um, I mean, even something like augmented reality, of course, we think of it as a digital process, but that uh, that the, the uh, knowledge involved in connecting um, a story to place, I mean, that's essentially what it's, what it's trying to do. I mean, that's been happening for tens of thousands of years. And so, you know, recognising these different design literacies is really important also for for, for recognising those new knowledges. And, um, and this is, I might pass really quick, uh, just quickly back to you, Jara, if you wanted to talk more broadly about your public art practice, because this is, I think, maybe why you choose to work with public space a lot, because of, of, of those types of strategies or approaches. Yeah, so uh, back in 2020, um, I graduated from my Masters of Public Art. Um, I have a Bachelor in Theatre Production, so I do have a sense of theatre when I create works. Um, but uh, that was a hard time because I, um, we were all locked down. I was really depressed. <laughs> Couldn't do anything. And they're like, what do you want to do? And I decided to do something that I'd been thinking about for a while. And I taught myself how to 3D model. And I created my wallet maps, which are possum spirits um, for augmented reality. And then I sent the file to all my friends, um, one of them even being in Brooklyn, New York, uh, and they just use the possum spirits all over wherever they want. So they were my, they were my um, collaborators, um, which was really cool. Um, and that's the thing with public art for me and something which, you know, um, I love about it is it's not for the institutions. Like, it can be made for that. Like, you can, see, you can tell when it's, like, for the institutions. <laughs> There's no real substance to them. But the ones that are made for the public or made for a certain audience, and I'm always going to be making stuff for my people first. That's, like, where I'm at um, and myself. Um, but if everyone else gets to enjoy it, that's a bonus. Um, so it's a, almost also, like, reclaiming space, I, so the wallet Marup actually turned into um, being invited to Flash Forward, uh, which was a festival that was put on during the lockdowns in Melbourne. Um, I was, uh, there was 40 artists and 40 acts, and I was one of the 40 artists, and they took me around the laneways, and I was like, this is what I want to do, and I didn't think they would agree, um, and they did. <laughs> so I had amazing uh, uh, producers, uh, Shane and Bo, and I have my wallet maps flying um, almost in motion. Their light works down at uh, Section 8 and between Section 8 and 30 Jerk um, off Tattersall's Lane. Um, and then I also have permanent uh, LED language works all through the city. Um, one of them being You Are On Country and the rest ha are in language. So the You Are On Country is on Goldie Place. The uh, I can't say it in language. It's terrible. But there's one that says be here with love and respect, and that's in White Hart Lane. And then there's one that says, uh, uh, oh, I can't say it either, sorry, I get tongue-tied. <laughs> it's all the Telstra building, so I was like, oh, talking stick, you know, I can connect to connection to communication. Um, that's on Barry Lane. Yeah, yeah. And you can actually see it from uh, Queen Street, uh, which is, it's quite bright and blue. Um, and the last one, which hasn't been lit yet, but it's up, it's on the... Um, uh, Batman Exchange building in Flinders Lane off Queen uh, and it's got Wurrung and I'm hoping they will eventually light it. <laughs> they, they did it and they didn't realise people live there and I was like, guys, <laughs> like this has been two years. 
Um, and it's going to be a beautiful golden yellow uh, for wattle. So I use colour a lot in my work. Um, and yeah, I've done public um, art festivals like Front Beach, Back Beach last year. Um, and I did um, the exhibition at Acme, but that was my first kind of exhibition um, in, a, in a place. Oh, I'm also... I had an art tram in 2021, a big pink one. You might have seen it uh, with a big eel on it. Um, and, or ilk, that's our name for the short fin eel. And that was about the journey cycles, the stories that mum would tell me. And uh, I curated this current ones that are on the track right now. That's for last year, which was unapologetically black, B-L-A-K, um, in uh, respecting Destiny Deacon in that coinage of that term. And uh, I'm curating this year's Rising Melbourne Art Trams, uh, which are currently getting, getting the artists like cracking the whip with them to finish it. <laughs> um, and there's going to be six artists this year. And it, the theme is uh, Black Futurism. So I'm really excited for that. They'll be launching in um, June when Rising Festival starts. So yeah, they're all the things I sort of do. <laughs> and I think it's that sort of thing that families have connected on those because I think Marie and them did their first tram, Peter Marie, our family. Yeah, that was for the bicentennial in yes. 89. Um, Marie and P Peter Clark did a, a tram for that, for the Koori exhibition that was at the Melbourne Museum. And we actually, for last year's tram, which is on the tracks now, if you're in Collins Street, you might see it. Um, it's a recreation of Lynn Onis's 1991 tram. I've become a nerd for trams. <laughs> Um, and I was telling everyone which classes were which and they were like, okay. <laughs> uh, but I really, I, you know, they're so important. They, all these artists I chose this year, uh, the year when I was on, uh, amazing uh, curator, Yorta Yorta uh, woman, uh, Kimberly Moulton curated that set. But these last two, it's really just like I'm not, I'm looking for grassroots. I'm looking for people who really take on the theme and, and people who maybe don't get those opportunities um, often. Um, and they're bright and colourful ones too, so it's going to be fun. <laughs> to loud, the it's city. going to be loud and proud. And yeah. I think if we look around the city, we need it <laughs> now and again. And through winter, we need the brightness and yeah. challenges. We also did an um, arcade the machine for um, the Clarendon Street arcades, and it's like this beautiful hexagon uh, machine uh, I did the tiles and I included my wallet marups um, and mum did the languages uh, for it and it's actually a really cool little game. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think that's where we're heading, aren't we, with our little game? Yeah, that's the really the, 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 the starting point for the next project about language. Um, so this uh, arcade game is called Yawa, which means journey um, in Brunrung language. And... Um, we created that as a, uh, so last year the Future Play Lab, which is the lab that I run at RMIT, uh, got some kind of post-COVID activation money f to make a street arcade in Clarendon, in Clarendon Street for um, City of Port Phillip. And we're given quite an open brief. And so I just thought, well, what are five arcade machines that I really want to make? And we did a traditional arcade machine just 
because you know that's a good starting point and it's easy to do. But then they they became more experimental, and the one that Jarrah's talking about is um, four player game. No, you, there's no win condition. It's just ex you're you're exploring as one of um, Jarrah's uh, possum spirits an abstract landscape which is um, filled with language. And so as you're moving about this landscape, uh, you're hearing a soundtrack, which is um, also generated by the, by the play. So it's this you know, really live kind of artwork. It's not predetermined. There's a lot of um, processes that happen just through how you play it. Uh, and that soundtrack is by Narayana Johnson, um, Otherwise known as the uh, uh, made it made the soundtrack for Cold for the Lamb. If anyone knows that game, so <laughs> they won an award for it. Yeah, really. And he's uh, uh, tool away, so he's on our yeah. on our Tasmanian side. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but in, but there's language in that game. So you hear Nawi um, as you oh you know like ilk. It means eel. So it's a it's a way. It's you don't have to learn language, but you kind of pick it up by 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 playing the game. And I think this is really this idea of, of games and, and situating um, Indigenous culture in contemporary media is super important because it's the same story that I think um, we were talking about before with the Nagi tree. Um, I mean, you could say, oh, okay, go out and s into the bush and see uh, a gum tree and that's where Indigenous culture is and it's separate to the city, but it's not. It's here and, you know, that significant tree is just down the road. Um, the, the importance of these as well, like that is important to remember as well, is that these are led by us as well. So, sorry, I'm saying as well a lot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's what's really like what makes it genuine, you know, because it's not just like you guys didn't come and go, oh, this is what we want and dictate how it had to be and, and stuff like that. It was like letting us do what we do in culture and art um, uh, and those that's what's really important um, uh, when it comes to these things is that it needs to be uh, driven by um, yeah our our narrative having our voice to doing it so and if you, I mean, I mean that can be an interesting thing because as a as a collaborator in Western culture, we're so accustomed to being active and like to think, you know, you think, oh, I've got to do something, I've got to say something. But so much of this work is that practice of your lens of listening and listening and knowledge. This word being interchangeable, um, and I think that's important for, you know, uh, visitors coming to Melbourne, but also locals rediscovering it. Is that we have this preconception of First Nations culture being, you know, these dot paintings or these things that are out in the desert somewhere Which out don't there. Which come from here, by the way. <laughs> and from Central Australia, <laughs> but the, but and then yeah. this is the thing: is we have yeah. these expectations, and then when you really listen, you're like, oh, okay, so that's not where the culture's coming up. The culture's coming up through, you know, these beautiful artworks in the city, which, which say you are in country, you know, and they're in LEDs, and then you're doing this augmented reality experience, and I think that's fun. I mean, Susie and I were just out on Tangarang Country up in Pineton uh, overnight, and uh, her. Uh, nephew uh, was celebrating his birthday so you go off to the pool party and they run around and playing around and connecting with water we go to the barbecue and then afterwards um, we got a heads up that was there was particular a Nintendo game that he wanted for his birthday and it's called Harvest Moon and I think this is just coming to my mind but <laughs> 
So it's a Japan. It's it's kind of like a fusion between. It's like an American Americanized Japanese cultural influence. But the the thing is, is that he he got hooked. He was like cactus because he was so tired from running around the pool and whatnot. But then he got this game and he exploded and he's playing this thing. And uh, you know, he had this probably an hour burst of energy, and all of us are just watching here. And he's learning how to garden, how to farm. But he's learning through a Japanese-American kind of influence thing. What I love about um, Kumagigi Lenge is that we'll have the opportunity to bring him into Melbourne and to listen through a medium that he connects to through augmented reality and digital experience, but to learn the language of this place and to learn the, the culture of this place. But by putting it in something that they find accessible, we're not, it's not going to be that bronze statue over there. It's not going to be something in, uh, in the museum, which there are beautiful things in the museum. It's going to be something actually walking out and about. But, you know, for the young kids to be able to have these entry points and these tools, again, it's that thing of listening not to where we think the energy is going to be, but to where it is. And, and that's, you know, it can be a little bit challenging. Something I always say as well when I come on to these collaborations is, you're not doing it for us, you're doing it with us. And that's really important. I know a lot of communities say this, um, but, you know, I've had artists who are like, I want to disrupt the Captain Cook statue in St Kilda. And I'm like, well, have you been affected by Captain Cook? Um, also, like I said, you know, I'd be like, oh, well, you should be working with this artist or maybe use a, because I wanted some plants and stuff, like using, you know, an art, uh, Indigenous um landscaper uh, and that put them off they're like oh it's too hard you know um, and that's a big problem um, is when it gets thrown in the too hard basket because you have this big idea that you want to do it for us but you don't want to work with us or or give the time like with mum you know you have to it's like I said a lot of the conversations are sickerall and you'll get to the to, to where you're going but you need yeah. to tell those stories beforehand uh, I do, uh, yeah. where, you know we're impacting on Little kindy kids, you know. I, like I said the other day, it's from the womb up that these little people are, are present, and we've done it. They're sponges; uh, they love it, <laughs> and they, really uh, they love creating the next stages of the books I write for them, and they illustrate the books how they see the story playing out. So they're invested, and they're invested in. Like they become the teachers to their parents, little three-year-olds, and they have a wonderful time. So the next book is called The Time of Chaos. So we have fun. And, and that could be changed into a, a game, I think. And the beginning of um, the way this, this place happened, about the creation of place. And the next one is about the... Beramol, the emu. So the kids are getting all these experiences from the stars down to the ground, all exploring these different places and mediums that we could bring them to. And they can create the games, you know. So the, the, we invest back to the little people and the little people will come up with new concepts and opportunities when they get to that level, or maybe there's little game makers now. I heard there's five-year-olds making games. So it can happen. They've got visions. Yeah, and, and um, without wanting to take too serious of a turn, um, 
this decade, if we're talking about the next generation, this decade has and beyond um, has so many challenges. Uh, and I think that coming out of, and I don't want to talk about the pandemic and lockdown too much either, um, but one of the, for me personally, one of the, I guess, opportunities that presented itself with all of the challenges that came through the, uh, and continue to come through um, the last couple of years, is that there is a real, I think, um, thirst for new knowledge or new perspectives on, on the world, um, because there's a, a, a realisation that, um, yeah, the systems aren't working, that there, need, and there needs to be an alternative, and without being too utopian about it, um, you would hope that, yeah, through the, considering other knowledge systems, other approaches, um, just even the, the simple act of being more connected to the environment, so I'm gonna have another go at this word, but post-anthropocentric, I oh, got it, great. Um, views um, that are, aren't centered on the individual, but are more about a connection to place and a, a realization that, yeah, things don't have to always happen at a frenetic pace, that you can allow space for, for uh, you know, uh, it doesn't knowledge to grow or to for for or the projects to grow or for even just the city itself where we live um, to grow um, and I think that's a lot of what you're thinking about too because you work with local government Matt as well as as do I in terms of um, you know how you actually bring place into being because the city is fluid and it's always changing and you know we have a small little window here to maybe and a small opportunity to influence some of those changes. Yeah, and, and I guess for us, I mean, as I said, my ancestors are, f are from Europe, so part of uh, my questions when I was at uni, up at Melbourne Uni, we were given this choice uh, in final year to choose a sustainable design technology, and a lot of my friends were choosing, you know, Western um, things, whether it be permaculture, bioremediation, water-sensitive urban design, all of these tools. And I, uh, not knowing, I felt that there was something missing and so I leant towards First Nations knowledge and then ironically it was song lines that were the thing that I went off to um, through an RMIT connection, went and experienced the Lurujari uh, Dreaming Trail uh, up with the Galarabaloo community. Um, but I guess the, the point that I'm making is that when you can listen both ways, and we've even last week we were out on country with um, David Tornia, one of the other boomerang culture carriers with Glenira Council, and over the last 18 months plus we went on a bit of a journey with them where they started the conversation by saying, all right, we've got this climate emergency strategy that we're trying to develop. You know, is there a way that we can put language on the front cover in a naming? Can we put a dreaming story in the beginning? This was thing, and then now we're saying, we, but we've got, it's got to become more reciprocal. It's got to be much more meaningful engagement. So we said, okay, we can do that this time, but next time, give a small space, and let's actually find a way to listen both ways. So then the integrated water management plan came up, and so we created a series of workshops where you could listen to the Western interpretation of right. This, these are the water patterns and management in the place. Then listen to the boomerang knowledge connections. And so then you found a way to strategically embed some of the principles that Nawi was talking about into the design of the plan. So they're not bolt-ons, it's actually embedded. And so it shifted, there was this point in the middle of that process where it just shifted and the consultant had this light bulb moment. He's like, oh, so you're saying we could like use these three concepts as a way of, you know, structuring the whole strategy. 
I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you can. <laughs> and it was amazing. And then so then uh, when there was another conversation starting, so early on and it wasn't formalised yet, they said, oh, okay, so we're doing these other things, biodiversity, you know, strategy and a circular economy plan. So you're saying that, you know, we could talk about that early on. I said, yes, we can. And so that's what we did. We ran a couple of workshops and Naui and David were talking about um, – you know, cool and boomerang concepts of circular economy and even just last week and we were standing there at Ripponlea and remembering um, there was a, uh, potentially one of the um, scar trees and there was the water where the spring used to be and there was one of the ilk, the eels that had popped out on one of the things and there was this moment again where one of the Glenira team was saying to David, oh David, when you explain the relationship of the circular economy in the way that you use timber for different tools for... Um, uh, for leaves for different things, for using coolerman or carriers and, and shields and different things. When you were describing that, was the first time I actually got the circular economy concept. So I could see the relationships and he did an illustration where you've got the river red gums, you've got the waterways, you've got the swift parrots which depend upon the trees and the water systems. You had He was depicting in that case a birthing tree and then set within an urban environment. And this wasn't a kind of a Kate Rayworth or a Western, you know, version of a circular economy or a technical one. It was a First Nations story. But then it allowed these decision makers inside a very Western context. Oh, actually, no, I got this circular economy thing. It's my keep cut and it's this painting. It's not or, it's both. And so then you end up with these different tools. But I guess that's what it comes back to, Troy, when you're saying is that if we are looking at this as being this incredible decade and a pivot point where we've had an incredible disruption, we've got climate change, we've got biodiversity loss, we've got these, um, you know, systemic racism and, and this extractive economy, how do we start from a different place? It starts from listening. And so the practices, the principles here that are coming up through an art project and through, you know, communicating different ways, they can actually be scaled up into the way that whole economies and societies are designed and, and grow. It's the principles are still the same. Um, so I think that's what's super inspiring. And uh, if we're brave enough to, to enter a space and say, hi, I don't know. I don't know. And that's really hard in Western culture. Yeah, it's 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 rewilding uh, because it's it's the world, but just re reshaped through a different lens. Um, so it's not kind of starting over; it's just working with the material and and reshaping it and and adapting it. And real, a real turning point for me when I was listening to you, Nawi, was the theme of patterns kept coming up, and that's a really different way of looking at the world because I'm. And, but it's also really compatible with a lot of contemporary thinking around systems and design and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, when, when you're talking about patterns, I mean, when you uh, play through Komagi Yelenj, um in 64 Ways of Being, you'll also hear this come up as a recurring theme um, as Nawi's voice appears in other locations in the Melbourne CBD and at RMIT campus and uh, some of the other journeys. Um, and yeah, I was curious about that just to maybe, if you want to have the final word um, around, you know, the patterns of landscape and how how you play them. I, I, I play it out with those architect students, you know, um, playing out patterns because I said, think about Melbourne, we're absent. We're, our, our images are erased from place. So how do we 
think about repatterning us back into place. And I think that's great little thinkers and um, they repattern and redesign the imagery of their designs. They walk around, they look at the, at the trees, they go into the gardens, look at some... Um, there's my grandson's footprints around the lagoon coming out of the... Oh, well, coming out of that area of the lagoon out in the... So we've been impacting on this place. Those grandsons are 27 now and they're only little fellas then. And I see their little footprints coming out with the emus and uh, kangaroos and it just gives me another sense of another pattern and, and bedding into place. And that was our first exploration of how do we bring ourselves back into place without too much disruption. So it is about patterns and, and it's not a pattern that we see every day. It's there, but it's not really... How would you describe it? With well, our visual language, um, our art styles, they are language um, and they're all pa patterns and geometric shapes and line work and marking. Um, and, you know, they're also, if you look at, you know, a, a, like an old possum skin cloak, which there's not many of them left now and they're all hidden in museums around the world, but those are maps. Um, maps of country. And stories of that person's life. Um, so patterns are a part of that um, and yeah. in there, yeah. And um, we're trying to recreate those patterns in other forms. We're doing a garden at the back of... Um, the Alfred Hospital there, probably where my daughter was born, and she did a patterns on a on a um, kangaroo, oh no, a possum skin, which is housed in uh, Port Phillip. And it was a young architect student that started looking at these patterns and started embedding those designs in this landscape. You'd probably go yep. across the river um, to the Birong near Art Play. Um, and you'll see some of the works, um, sadly, there's not many around the city. They just put us in special places for special occasions. Um, but that was for Commonwealth Games. So maybe there'll be an, a regeneration of more works in areas. But it is just across the river. And you'll see some of the works. Um, my sister, uh, Caroline Martin, did at one of the poles with um, some diamond designs and a bunch of other cool and artists, I think Vicky Cousins. There's a giant eel mm. um, that you can follow and it has these patterns. So you can experience it in a special location across the river, <laughs> uh, isolated, that not many people realise exists. They walk past it every day and it was and the Batman the, the five shields of the Kulin Nation are there as well. So if you want to see what our designs are um, outside of a, unfortunately... Um, in the museums, in yeah. those ar archive yeah. places. And that's what something's passionate about for me is I'll always be influenced by my traditional ancestors' works and designs. Like, it'll be my own, but um, we need to fight for those southeast designs and Kulin designs to be seen and those stories to be seen above everyone on their land. Yes. Councils. Where would I Councils. The ones with the money. 
I was going to say, is it councils? It's got to be councils the decision makers. We'll talk with um, rap groups, but that's not necessarily the right way to go about it yeah. because a lot of that is political and some of those decisions were made to harm uh, native title acts. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just one, you have to build relationships with um, community. Yeah. Um, you're so it's got to come from the bottom up, you think? Yeah. Because it would be much easier if it w was a little more top down and the councils... Well, asked us what we want to do and, and, yeah. and, and stuff. And even in our community. And I, the reason I fight to say that our designs need to be, you know, because there is a, it's, it's almost like a genocide of erasure of our, our, our traditional works. But a lot of our community don't know that yeah. because all our objects are in museums. Um, they don't, they're yeah. not living with us. Mm. Um, and, you know, in the 70s yeah. when they brought those That's things. Right. And I saw, sorry, you know, I was on that museum trail with, Monash, um, looking at objects around yeah. Europe. So that's where we found a lot of collections from Barack right. in Switzerland. Yes, of course. And it was uh, because the Swiss Stuff family the had dev, family had made mm. befriended Barack, mm. and he used to send oh imagery yeah. of his paintings. And then one of the descendants of that family, because it was their inheritance. So they were trying to... So they knew it was high value? Yes. Yes, right. So they, we were able to dive in there and get the, that painting because America doesn't see our art as different. In mm. they, they look for a, the Papanyatula designs or, mm. or the cross hatchings in the Northern Territory. They're looking... So he didn't attain the price that he would hope to have got through that yeah. auction. So it was able to, uh, for the Wurundjeri and the state to repurchase that back. So it now, ha but there's a whole collection of Barak's work. The last painting is the Swiss family that had bought a property at Bald Hill and Barak had written that this is his image of the their property that still sits in situ up in near Hillsville. So it was for us. It was a an amazing journey. I saw a lot of our work in Germany, but it was all heavily sterilised. We were wearing these coats and gloves and masks to go into this highly fumigated place and not very well cared for um, products or. Pro produce of our materials but in Switzerland in we found other materials that belong in my grandmother's country which is up near Swan Hill um, for me that was a, another story of design that they had quite a few of these imagery like dendroglyphs and we found a whole collection that belongs in the Wiradjuri collections and also um, up near, um, oh, what do they call it? It's between, it's between, um, oh, I've forgotten, I've gone right, lost that story. But it's, they cut them down, but they recorded that cutting down of the, I think um, the artist, Renee Rika. Yeah, Peruvian pots. So if you think about, these imageries and, and markers that belong to certain countries, it's, 
the children or people are, are missing out on these patterns and designs that, that we talk about because they are dendroglyphs. They're talking poles. Um, they're out at the museum at Moreland and we will, they will go back to country. But like, there's another thing I talk about too, a lot of museum collections, if we didn't know, we wouldn't have known what the designs and patterns would be. So in a funny way, because the old people say, well, it's, nothing is forever. It, it erodes back into country. And museums in their funny little collections, yeah, they look after things and and then when they've got, they want to hand them back and we've got to go, wow, that's another way we've got to think about preservation or do we put them back into country where they'll slowly erode. But no one has stories. No one, it, it's, a, it's like the hieroglyphs. So in terms of public digital art right throughout Melbourne, we haven't really started, I think is my headline. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I wanted to also, um, coming back to as well, how do you know who to use and work with and stuff, hire a curator who's from here, from this country, who actually knows those things, um, like Kimberly Moulton or myself or other uh, um, artists or curators, people who actually have those relationships. Um because when it doesn't happen, especially when someone, someone has to have that experience and has to be a part of that community and build those relationships. Relationships are so important. Um, I wouldn't have had the numbers of applicants if I hadn't, you know, contacted every auntie and uncle to... Seven this time. Yeah, um, to, to reach out and tell, encourage and, and, and communicate. And I'd, I would have loved to do more and actually go out to some communities. We are even thinking about Ballarat as well. Uh, so it might be for next trams, but um, yeah, hire one of us for a curator because it should come from us, you know. I think Ballarat did do something in seasons because we had them on walls, and it was a black fella pictures or something, wasn't it? Picture making fellas, <laughs> yeah, and and um, the first peoples there were designing things and storyboarding the um, exhibition building. So we were seeing that, but I don't know how that goes back into places like Ballarat and around that area. But I think it will, once you headline it and pitch it, I suppose it's having our, muse our university helps in that way because we've got another walk, which is about the, um, the um, what's it? Uh, which Archie Roach's song when they do the Gertrude walking back, Yelinga, Yelinga, and that's a walking trail that RMIT were involved in. So they won an award. <laughs> I had to go and get it. So it was interesting to know that universities are part of the tool to help us get our voice out there, get our young creatives in there and non just not just indigenous kids i think other kids want to play you know and s rewrite history a bit back into place too we're finding that aren't we with young ones but let us do it first and then build on it from that yeah as jara said before it, um, the process needs to be indigenous led um, but uh, people like 
well, the university, Matt, myself can support that process. And um, I would say we also have, uh, you know, given the challenges that we face this this coming decade, um, uh, uh, all the more reason to engage with, with those um, new knowledges. Um, and I think that, uh, I mean, the, there's a resistance in the built environment and it becomes really difficult with local government and, and um, the fact that there is so much embedded infrastructure. Uh, but, I mean, one, one uh, concept that you return to, Nawi, is this idea of remapping, um, well, not only metropolitan Melbourne, but I guess the entire, what's currently known as the state of Victoria. And I would say, and maybe this is a good point to finish on, um, given that we're coming to time, uh, that that uh, possibility is, is, is there, it's open, because, I mean, first of all, you know, we know that sovereignty was never ceded, so we are on, in two places at once. We're in a country known as Australia, but at the moment we're also in the Kulin Nation. Um, we're in two places simultaneously, so we should have more than one map of this place. And if that other map needs to be digital because of all of the challenges in the built environment, then that's a good place to start. And so, yeah, creating a, a, a digital map of, of Victoria through the lens of um, First Peoples, uh, I would hope that projects like this is a, is a, a way to start that, um, that process. And so, um, uh, we are on time, so we'll... Um, yeah, I oh, know. Well, so over, we're having. Over time. A, I think we're <laughs> we're having an exhibition with my young cousin um, Sarah Rees, who's a, an architect, on the biosphere and extractions, and uh, it'll be at the um, Red Square, I think, in the um, gallery, uh, Ian Potter Gallery. So, if you want to just see how we think about and how designers and people who build from architecture or builders, what do, what do we see as extractions from our bio, how we see our country from that premise, I suppose. Um, it's something, for me, it was a challenge working with Sarah as a young architect and um, putting that view into play. It's for the Melbourne Now. Um, Melbourne Now. Yeah, so that's this month. Yes. And, and we were lucky because National Gallery bought it. We had it at ACME. ACCA. Right, ACCA. Oh, God. Sorry, it's close. I'm confused, you know. <laughs> uh, we, but, yeah, because we're, and what we're doing in Dodd Street is going to be amazing impact. But it's going to be challenging but whimsical and putting ourselves back into having fun and landscaping and... We want to just bring ourselves back into the focus. We go into the gardens. We see elements of stories there. It was a mission site, you know, when moved off. But um, and where we moved to, and here we are again, right back where we started from. Yeah. And Thank I guess you. it's also important to note that just because we're finally getting a moment and a voice to actually tell these stories and reclaim place. It doesn't mean it excludes anyone else, you know. Um, it just means that we're finally getting a little bit of, like, traction and, and we can be like, hey, you know, 
here's some things that can help everybody because uh, you know our culture is our everybody's culture as well. It's just um, um, yeah, it's just uh, it it's just it's time to actually stand up and hopefully it's sustainable and it's not a trend. That's my only concern. <laughs> has to happen forever <laughs> and not because like I grew up in the urban Koori art scene where it was just like the 80s and 90s and then vanished for a bit. <laughs> yeah and I think that's you know we marvel at you know the thing from Thailand you know another woman there was four women that actually put designs in the M Pavilion. I'm bringing women back into history too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> important as well because it's not just most of our stories because the um, colonials wouldn't talk to us they're all by the men's perspective um, so most of what's recorded isn't our stories um, so I think that's why it's so important because we also were a matriarchal society but they just talk to the men um, but yeah what yeah. yeah what was left we survived <laughs> women made, made us survive so so thank you so much, everyone, for um, listening to our conversation today. And yeah, if you'd like to give some a sign of appreciation to the panelists, um, Jara Carolina Steele, Nawi, Carolyn Briggs, and Matt Sykes. You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.